With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the Hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, Exile Brewing, E-X-I-L-E. For me, E-X-I-L-E, let's drink football. Enjoy your The HN Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace. And Steve, let's, uh, we threw a little bit of a uh, hashtag out there this tonight to hear from the fans, uh, see what they have to say, what they want us to talk about this time of year. I think it's a good time to do this touch base after spring football. I'm pulling these up right now. So let's go in order of which I received the questions from folks on Twitter who replied to our call to arms. Today was Iowa Day on ESPNU. Adam Kramer asked, what would be your top three to five games to be put on your Iowa Day? Bob, that, I don't know if you saw this, Steve, but it, it, it was pretty cool. There, there was somebody that won some type of auction, and they were able to program ESPNU for the day, and they happened to be an Iowa fan. And oh, a, cool. A number of really, really cool old games on there. I, I've recorded several. The 1996 Iowa-UConn basketball game where Chris Kingsbury just went off. Mm-hmm. Uh, just things I haven't seen for uh, quite some time. I'd probably go Iowa, Illinois, 87. Um, Iowa at Illinois, 87 hoops. Um, Iowa at North Carolina in, in 88 hoops. Pretty much getting a vibe. Late 80s Iowa basketball would probably be it, uh, be it for me. Um, players who player to watch for Iowa football who benefit. Oh, I got to answer. I got to get to answer that, don't I? I mean, I'm not an Iowa fan, but I get to answer that one, don't I? Sure, go ahead. So I would put number one on my list, or number three on my list, would be um, the first game. Uh, it was a game I attended. I was a student at Michigan State at this time. And that was the game where Val Barnes literally didn't open his eyes for nine minutes of live action um, and, and went Carson Edwards in the NSA tournament last uh, month, uh, the first game after Chris Street died, and the comeback they had at... Uh, uh, at Breslin against Michigan State um, would be number three on that list. Number two on that list would, would be a game you were at, uh, and that would be the uh, the 2005 um, uh, Citrus – well, back what was it? what was it called then? Um, Capital One. Capital One Bowl. I forgot they were the sponsor back then. But the Citrus Bowl, basically, and that's Tate to, to Warren Holloway. And yeah. then number one would be one of the most – uh, historic football games in Big Ten history, and and one of the greatest games of my childhood. And it's and it's even it, even before I moved here, moved back here as an adult, 
it was one of the few games when I used to collect games on videotape. And I don't have to do that anymore because everything's on YouTube now. But when I used to collect the games on videotape, it was one of the few games Michigan ever lost that I kept. And that was October 19th, 1985, number one Iowa versus number two Michigan. And it ends on Rob Houtland's uh, kick there um, at the end. Uh, so those would be the three games that I would have programmed if given the chance for, yeah, from an Iowa perspective. That, um, that was one heck of a game. I've seen it a number of times. Uh, probably a lot of these, the, the ones I chose are games I haven't seen very often. Sure. But I, I think, I, what was it? It was 12-10, right? Iowa won that game. 12-10. Yep. And Iowa had nearly 500 yards of total offense that day. They just could not put points on the board. Uh, there was a call in the back of the end zone that in this day and age of uh, replay would have been overturned. Would have been overturned. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, that's who knows how many other plays like that in today's day and age. But it, it was a fantastic game. Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback for Michigan. There was an NCAA rule, if you can believe it or not, at the time. It could be too loud, yeah. They, yeah, the home the home crowd could be penalized for being too loud if it interfered interfered with the visiting team's ability to make change plays at the line of scrimmage. I mean, how freaking stupid is that? And no, and no, no coach was a bigger douche about using that than Bo either. I mean, oh. he he and Harbaugh used that constantly, and it was almost like they, it was almost like a pro wrestling act, like they were trying. Yes. The opposing team's fans. Yes. Like, like I remember we played a game that se- we played a game the next year at Wisconsin back when TBS had back in the mid 80s. TBS had a lot of these games for people that aren't old enough to remember that. You know, I don't even really remember that. And I'm older than you. <laughs> and uh, and it was the game where uh, where I think it was Bo's 200th coaching win or something against Wisconsin. And it was the mid 80s. And Wisconsin was just terrible. One of the was. It was historically they were on one of the worst runs in modern Big Ten history. I mean, you, you, a lot of teams we would just go up there, throw our helmets out there, and win. Right. And and I mean, it's like thirty-four to ten, and 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 I just watched this game last a couple summers ago, so that's why I remember it so well. And it's like thirty-four to ten, and even then, Harbaugh's like backing out. Oh, the crowd's too loud. <laughs> I mean, Bo was notorious for using this. And I, it was almost like a Bobby the Brain Heenan Ric Flair move, like he was agging you on. But uh, that game, uh, that Michigan team that year, uh, that was our only loss. And that was a deep, one of the greatest defenses in modern college football history. Michigan, only, there were only eight converted extra points against Michigan all season long because of how few touchdowns they gave up that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 you're right. Iowa between the twenties, Michigan had no answer. Iowa went up and down the field on them between the twenties, but they got in. They got into the red zone, and that Michigan defense stiffened. But unfortunately uh, for me and Michigan fans like me, Rob Houtland went perfect that day, and uh, and Iowa won that game and went on uh, to uh, to the Rose Bowl against UCLA. Michigan went on to the Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska. And that was actually the doubleheader on NBC New Year's Day. Uh, actually, it was the tripleheader on NBC New Year's Day. Was the was back in those days? It was, the NBC had the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and the uh, the Orange Bowl back to back to back on New Year's Day. And the games that year were uh, Michigan and Nebraska playing for the first time ever uh, in uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. So Bo Schembechler versus Tom Osborne, 
And and Michigan won that game to finish number two in the country because number three, Iowa, lost to UCLA in the Rose Bowl. And then that night, Penn State, now a team in the Big Ten. Penn State, number one in the country against number two, Brian Bosworth and Jamel Holloway and the Oklahoma Sooners with the wishbone. And Oklahoma ran them right off the field and won the national championship that night. Those were some days. Um, your opinions of what should be reasonable expectations for Iowa basketball in this day and age, given the current Big Ten landscape. I uh, find myself longing for the days of Ronnie, Roy, BJ, etc. almost like Husker fans in football hold on to the 90s. Are those amazing runs in the 80s a thing of the past? This comes from Dave Laughlin. I would say, yeah, those. The, 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 when you look at the 1980s and what Lute Olson was able to do, uh, he had the Iowa basketball machine going quite strongly at that time. George Raveling didn't have great success on the court, but he recruited the most talent-laden roster in Iowa basketball history. They had 86-87 Iowa team. I don't think you'll ever see that much talent on one Iowa basketball team ever again. I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. Maybe it'll happen someday, but when you're talking about the 110, 115-year history of Iowa basketball, that's the most talented team that we've seen. So, no. I don't think we'll see that again. I um, think we can probably be glad, glad that there weren't any investigators around at that point in time as well, based upon some things I've heard from people that were part of that team, who I'm not going to name, moving along. Uh, reasonable expectations for Iowa basketball in this day and age. I, I think go to the tournament three out of every five years. Uh, get to the Sweet 16 once a decade, once every 15 years. So I think they're overdue. Uh, I think Fran has done a respectable job. Just recruit better guards. We'll get some recruiting conversations coming up here in a second. What are your thoughts, Steve? Res uh, realistic, reasonable expectations for Iowa basketball in today's Big Ten? I think this is a really difficult question to quantify. Um, because I think two things that appear and probably even uh, to some degree are contradictory or in conflict both appear to be true. And, and, and those two things are, A, um, this is not a program that has a lot of championship success. It hasn't won a Big Ten regular season championship since 1979 when a guy late named Magic Johnson was one of the, with one of the teams and the, he, that he was on that they shared it with. Um, you know, so there's that. And you have to recognize that. It's because it, 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 it speaks to what your historical benchmark is, which then brings in what seems to be, though, the contradictory argument. What could your historical benchmark actually be? And if, if I can best as I can, and I think I can do this better now that, you know, I'm not surrounded by the daily animosity of the Iowa State robbery like I was when I did this full time professionally. I've lived here in Iowa long enough. I've been around enough Iowa fans on a personal level, you know, so I get a chance to kind of see, and even as simple as just getting to know you as well as I have. So if I, I, to be as empathetic as I can, if I were one of you, I would, I, I, and, if, and, if, and, and if I were reasonable in terms of, you know, I want more, but I want to be reasonable about it. Okay, so 
So you're basically ask- talking about a make-believe fan. Go ahead. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So I'd have a hard time reconciling why Wisconsin can finish in the top four of the Big Ten 14 years in a row, but we can't get out of the second weekend of the NSA tournament in you know this century. I'd have a hard time rational- rationalizing why VCU and George Mason can make Final Fours. I'd have a I'd have a hard time rationalizing, um, you know, why Virginia Tech can be a top four seed, and they were they came out of arguably a better league. Some people think the ACC was a better league than the Big Ten this year, um, and so we're we're in this area where there, where and this is where fan bases can turn on each other because one group will say. You know, you're not loyal as a fan. You have unreasonable expectations. You're making it unfun to be a fan. You don't support the program. Know your role. And then another group of that fan base will say, um, why are you content with this? You know, why, why do you, why do you, why are you measuring our benchmark by, you know, 1979? I wasn't born then, you know, and and so I don't know what the exact answer to this is. I do know this. There's no way in hell Purdue should have not been to a Final Four since 1980. And there's no way in hell that the University of Iowa should go 20 years between getting to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. As to how many more times than that in 20 years, I don't know. I do know the answer, though, ought to be more than one. I know that's the answer. I, don't, I, I know that answer is right. It, should the answer be two? Should it be five? Should it be six? I don't know the answer to that. I just know one is not good. And, and Iowa fans deserve and should demand better than that. Now, does that mean a coaching change, things of that nature? Yeah, I think we're, this is where you get into the situation, too, of, you know, we've had this conversation in the context of when, when Kirk finally hangs it up. You know, as a Michigan fan, I remember when, when Lloyd retired and remember they came out in that citrus bowl and, and they started running Rich Rod's offense against Tim Tebow in Florida and Urban Meyer and they beat him with it. Remember that, you know, and you're like, Oh, they're on. It's on. Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, that ended up being the worst decade uh, the programs had in half a century. And we're just now building out of it. We, we just, this is the first year since you and I have been doing sports media together that Michigan's going to have, a full allotment of scholarship offensive linemen. And you and I have been doing this, to, well, not the first year, because you, you and I have been doing this since like 2000. How about this is the first year since Lloyd Carr retired that Michigan's going to go into a season with 15, 16 high-level recruited offensive linemen. Lloyd Carr retired in 2007. All right, it took us a decade. It took Michigan a decade to, to build out of a bad coaching hire or two what does the next tier of, of program like in Iowa risk with a bad coaching hire or two? And so, yeah, so are there things that, that could be done administratively? You know, and this is where who your AD is matters, you know, in terms of who your assistants are. I thought, for example, the performance of Iowa's assistants in those two games and maybe the way that they were structured, they were set up to fail, but the team looked abysmally prepared to play a college basketball game in both cases. All right, so is that where an AD comes in and says, do you have the, 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 the infrastructure support? Do you have the facility support? Um, am I making sure that you're, you know, 
have do, have you done what is necessary on your coaching staff uh, and those sorts of things? I mean, not everything has to be you get you get a ridiculous extension you haven't earned or you're fired. You know, no, I mean, there, you know, there's things that can be done in any industry in between that to either put people on notice of what is expected of them or administratively give them what they need to reach the expectations you want to have. You know, but at the very least, there is no reason whatsoever that a that a program like of Iowa's magnitude should have gone and and twenty years and counting between making the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Moving on to Eric Reeder, who asks, player to watch slash who benefits the most from AJ Epinesa becoming a full time starter with extra attention on him with double teams. And chips. I mean, I'd probably go first to uh, another lineman, maybe other side, maybe it's Golston, maybe it's Davion Nixon if he emerges as the starter. I, I would say that wh- whomever is on the line next to AJ Epinesa inside, that guy's going to benefit a lot. I agree. I th- and I think it will be more on the inside than on the outside, on the other side. Yeah. Um, the thing I'll be fascinated by to, to watch with him. You know, we is is you know Ohio State fans were thinking this way with with Nick Bosa heading into last season, and they looked at the amount of snaps he played, and they looked at his pass rushing percentage. Um, you know, percentage of times uh, you know he uh, got pressure, helped collapse the pocket, got home, forced uh, you know a throw, etc. And so what happens is the way fans think is they're like, well, you know, let's see, he he played forty one percent of our snaps on defense. Um, cause I think that was around the number of what Bosa actually played in 2017. It was something like that, uh, because they were so deep up front, they were substituting all the time. And so they, they looked at his numbers and they looked at all those crazy pass rush analytics and they're like, man, next year when he plays 75% of our snaps, what are his numbers going to be? You're, we're just going to prorate him and they're going to double. It doesn't work like that. No, there's diminishing returns. Yes. And the reason it doesn't work like that is because football is such a physical game. It's not baseball where the more at bats you get, the more rhythm and stuff you get. This is the more hitting, the more hits you take, the more times you've been chopped, the more times you're you're chopped blocked, the more times your knees are taken out, um, those sorts of things. So while I expect his production to increase because he's a supremely talented player in a first round draft pick and then in the 2020 draft, um, I don't know that you'll see the sort of Herculean expectations met that that fans have because he's going to, his body's going to take a physical toll that it hasn't been asked to take the last few years when he's been able to play more situationally. So I'm going to look this up real quick. I think what he, did he have 10 and a half sacks? Yeah. I had 10 and a half sacks last year. I was tied for 13th in the country and then led the big 10 and the guy that didn't start. If I gave you an over under, for 2019, for AJ Epinesa right now on sacks, and I put it at ten and a half. What are you taking? I might take the under, John. I, I might. That's 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 what. If you made me take one, I'm taking the under. Because here's the and other thing too. Every de- every offensive court, he he's on everybody's na- list now. Okay, and every you know what every offensive coordinator's head coach is telling him, and every offensive you know what every offensive lineman's offensive coordinator is telling him. For the for twelve games, don't let that guy beat us. Double team him, triple team him. Don't let that guy beat us. He's on the 
so he he's he is you know you can go find some film of Rashawn Gary and his college career at Michigan where he is literally getting triple teamed and then chip blocked after that. That's AJ Epinesa, 12 weeks starting in August. Mark my words. Okay. Yep, I agree. Totally agree. Uh, it's like last year when we were talking about the Iowa's tight end position in August, and I said on this podcast I felt that that uh, T.J. Hawkinson was going to have a better season than than Noah Fan. I'm not saying that Golston or another defensive lineman will have a better season than A.J. I just don't think he's going to have this type of season that some people think that he's going to have just because he's going to play more, as you uh, talked about earlier. Was Wisconsin's – this comes from Cade Walls. Was Wisconsin's slip-up in 2018 a sign of new, a new reign in the Big Ten West? If so, can Iowa regain the title of Bullies of the Big Ten? Do you think that was, um, think that was a one-off for Wisconsin? Uh, I mean, get, for them to get back to the defensive level they were at prior last year and from the time they made the switch to the 3-4 when Gary Anderson came in, I mean, that was national championship caliber defense they played for like five years. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that Wisconsin could continue that after they kept losing linebacker after linebacker after linebacker. Do you think last year was an aberration, or do you think there's more pain in store? Well, we talk about this in the Bigger Ten podcast this week. You had them going 7-5 and five overall. That was before you saw any spring activity, and before I think you knew that they were going to be start so young at quarterback. Yeah, you're looking at a freshman quarterback is starting there now, uh, and a highly recruited one. I, I can tell you, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, forgive me. But I do. I, I can tell you that he was number one on Michigan's board in the last class, uh, and they tried to get him to flip uh, after he committed to Wisconsin as well. So he'll, you know, he's an early enrollee. My guess is, you know, um, he'll be the starting quarterback when the season opens. They lost quite a bit on their offensive line. Uh, I think they lost four starters up there. Now it's Wisconsin. You know, so they've got a whole bunch of kids. They've been redshirting and building up, but. The cohesion and those sorts of things, that's going to take some time. Defensively, they've lost quite – names that, you know, that we have gotten used to. Uh, you know, the, the, the Dakota Dixons and those, and those types. Um, those guys are, you know, those guys are all gone now. The na- all those linebacker names that we got to know the last few years, all those guys are gone now. They don't really have that tight end. They didn't have it last year, and they don't have it. You know, at, at least we don't know. Maybe that guy. Well, yeah, Barry's, grand, Barry's grandson, but yeah, he's not an all-American. Yeah, I, I, I. So they have a tremendous running back, but they always have a tremendous running back. You could argue Jonathan Taylor might be the best of all of them. I mean, okay, I don't, I don't know really what difference it makes between Jonathan Taylor rushing for eighteen hundred yards and Anthony Davis running for fourteen hundred or Brett Moss running for fifteen hundred. I mean, it's okay. You know, I mean that's. Yeah, all right, he's a little better, but I mean, those couple hundred rushing yards might equate to a half a win more a year, maybe. Okay, you know, so, and the rest of this division is caught up with him. You have Northwestern is going to have a, a lot of the same team we just saw, um, but uh, without Clayton Thorson, but they're replacing him with a five-star quarterback, the transfer from uh, from from Clemson. Um, you know, Iowa I think has the best personnel in the division. And and could have challenged Michigan and Ohio State for the best personnel in the conference, if not for every guy they needed to come back that could go pro, went ahead and went pro, 
And looking at the latest NFL draft rankings, I think those three guys all made the right decision. I think they're all going to be top 100 draft picks, which means picked in the first three rounds of the draft, and they're going to make really good money. Um, you know, you look at what Minnesota's doing with the way they have recruited their youth. You know, they just won that bowl game. They started seven freshmen in that game. You know, they had the youngest team in all of Power 5 college football last year. You know, and then they and and they and they won that game. I mean, when was the last time they won and the axe ever, let alone at right. Madison? I thought it had been it's been like 15 years or some crazy number. You know, so now you're going back to when they have like Lawrence Maroney and all those guys running for a thousand yards all the time. Um, so I, I I think they they've taken not as big of a step back as we think. Like, I don't think they were as good as their record indicated. They were just very solid and with a, with a built-in identity who didn't beat themselves in a, in a division where a lot of these programs weren't established. But they weren't beating Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State all those, in, in a lot of those years. They were losing to those teams right, right. in a lot of those years. So I think what's happened is they've taken a bit of a step back, not as big as this, that we think, but it's just kind of more of a correction. But the rest of the division has gotten better. Over under on number of Iowa football regular season wins in the next two years necessary to make Iowa fans accept the hiring of Brian Ferentz as head coach. Eldon Whetstone asked that and says 18 is the number. I think over the next three years, two, two years, okay. regular season wins. So that would be, you know, nine wins a season. Uh, or, you know, I mean, if they went 11 one year and seven, seven the next, I don't think that's – I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think that 18 probably gets it done. Um, yeah, are there some people that have Ferentz fatigue? Sure. But I, Brian – I think Brian's different than his father. So – but I, I think that I will really, really, really – needs to capitalize on the opportunity they have before them this coming season. You mentioned Iowa may have the toughest schedule in the Big Ten Conference. We talked about that in the Bigger Ten podcast this week. And they do. But when you look at these games individually, I think that Iowa's talent holds up well with the teams on their schedule. And you have a third-year starter coming in at quarterback. He needs to be more consistent. You've got a defensive line that may not be as thin as we thought it was going to be. You have a fairly experienced secondary. You have linebackers that are experienced. You have potentially two NFL top three round draft picks this coming draft, you know, in 2021 or 2020 rather at tackles for you. You have a stable of running backs that you didn't have last year. They they need to win nine or ten games this year. I think this is an interesting question because, well, actually, they've all been interesting questions so far. What I think is uniquely interesting about this question is, is do we have to consider that it may not be as simple as, as how, how the math adds up but the kind of math that was used to arrive at the answer. Meaning, let's say they're 9-4 and four at the end of this season. And the four losses are at Iowa State, at Michigan, somewhere else, and then a bowl game. And in all those games, um, you, you, know, you and I go back to the debate about 
whether quarterbacks regress the longer they're at Iowa or not. And Stanley, um, you know, is dropping steamers. And, you know, they average 14, 17 points a game in those losses. Meaning, are all nine and four kind of seasons equal, is what I'm asking. Because if the over-under is 18, that's what we're talking about in the two nine-win seasons. Are, are, all, are all nine win seasons equal? Could, could in that in, in environment where offensively, you know, they don't blow people away, is, could, is it a, could, would Iowa fans buy, hey, you know, Brian did the best he could under the restrictions that his dad gave him, and now that he's in charge, uh, you know, uh, the genie's coming out of the bottle. I don't know. I'm asking these questions. I'm just trying to figure this, you know, do the math here on the fly. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I think it's a good good point. I, I don't know. It's difficult, obviously, where I mean, we're both just sort of pontificating. I, I think there's going to be a segment of fans, Steve, that regardless, they don't want Brian because they're just going to feel it's going to be Kirk 2.0. Mm-hmm. I don't think a Brian Ferentz-led Iowa football program is going to be exactly like a Kirk Ferentz-led program. Do I think the DNA is going to be very similar? Absolutely. I mean, literal, relative to father to son. But do I think Brian would tweak more things? Yes, I do. I think we've seen some tweaks and some more openness to change since Brian has been a part of this staff. And I think that Brian, if he were the one calling the shots, absolutely, I think that things would be different. So I don't know what that number is. You're right. It is a very good question. I actually, you know, I, I hope that it's a good debate, a debate we have, because if if they do continue to do well, they're recruiting at a, they're, they're just recruiting really well right now. They have been for the last few years. So. All right. So let me give them some advice. All right. Yeah. As a guy that's laid out you know, some can help lay out some campaigns in my day job. If this is something they really want to lay the groundwork for, all right, then you have to begin the process now of laying the groundwork to create the framework for the response that you help to generate when the time comes later. So one way I would do that, for example, is if you're going to, if, if you get to the point, like, let's say it's, you know, um, the Outback Bowl, I was home away from home, or the Holiday Bowl, which is actually going away now, right? So what game is taking its place? Because I was going to pick that game. Gosh, was it Vegas? It's the Vegas Bowl, something like that. Yeah, all right? So if And, and this is going to be Kirk's swan song. Then to me, this is where the Ferentz Brain Trust gets together and and – you say that you let Kirk says to Brian, you know, like Kirk, Kirk uh, or like Mel Gibson says to Joaquin Phoenix at the end of Signs, swing away, all right? Yeah. Take, 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 uh, you know, take all the restrictor plates off and own it. You've got 15 practices in a bowl game. That's literally another spring practice. And um, give them a taste of what Ferentz 2.0 uh is going to look like and do it right now so that you go into that final recruiting stretch then into spring football with an, with a fan base and and sort of that momentum rather than well you know they just kind of settled and you know mailed it in that's just what Iowa and Gary Barta does that'd be my advice 
All right, let's move along. There's a few more to get to here before we wrap this one up. Um, there's another football pass. Oh, will the Big Ten realign divisions in the next decade? This is a good question. Mm-hmm. You know, Big Ten realignment. The the Big Twelve just took some steps to solidify themselves with their their digital rights being signed over to uh, ESPNU through what 2024, I believe. Mm-hmm. Do you think the do you think the Big Ten will realign their divisions? Let's just say hypothetically there is no no new teams that come into the league. Do you think they will realign in the next decade? I think they will. If no new teams come into the league, I don't think they'll realign. I think they'll get rid of divisions altogether. How does that look? It'll look like what the Big 12 does. I think they'll get rid of divisions altogether, and they'll just have the top two teams play. That's well, the, the, the big the Big Twelve has a round robin. Yeah, and the Big Ten will. The, we you you already what you have right now in the Big Ten is you have the worst of both worlds. Right. You have the inability of a you have an unbalanced schedule with divisions. Okay, and so you have you have a you you almost have double segregation. All right, double double duck duck goose. If you remember the game from our childhood. <laughs> okay, so you've got to get rid of one of those two. Um, and, and you can't go to a true round robin because you'd have no non-conference schedules. Uh, and you know, those are money makers. Uh, and you need to, you've already, you've already, we, we did the math last year. Remember what was it? Five bull bids. The league has cost itself going to a nine game schedule or something like that. Right. Similar. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, so that's television revenue, exposure, et cetera, that the leagues, you know, uh, just let surrendered to play it. So everybody can play a ninth, conf- a ninth conference game. You're not gonna you're not gonna dilute that any further at this point. So since you can't you can't unbalance the schedule anymore, the best thing that you do now is you just get rid of the divisions, and I think that's what they'll do. And then just the best two teams play. Um, Iowa assistant coach Andrew Francis uh, was reported by Chad Lysico of the Des Moines Register on Tuesday night that he's going to be leaving the program, taking a different job. Uh, several people asking how that's going to impact the the program. Andrew Francis has been a, a key recruiter. I remember interviewing Fran McCaffrey right when he first became a head coach for Iowa on uh, on radio um, in Des Moines. And he referred to Francis as a recruiting barracuda in one of Fran McCaffrey's hyperbolic comparisons. Um, it seems that he was well-liked. I don't know Francis all that well. Uh, Iowa's recruited okay. And, and the other question is, who do you want them to see bring in? I mean, I don't know specific. I mean, Dean Oliver probably isn't going to leave Wisconsin for Iowa. It would be a lateral move, uh, really. If if that, it probably maybe be, given what Wisconsin's done in recent history, it would be a, a step backwards. Um, so whoever it is, hopefully they can recruit guards a lot better than how they've done it. Can I give some advice here? Yeah. I, I, they need to find someone, a young, a young coach who can live in, live in a state like Ohio. Because even though it, it, it's still one of the best states in our league for football, but its numbers aren't quite as great as they were because the Rust Belt demographics aren't the same. Basketball-wise, um, there's tons of talent there, and Ohio State can only sign two or three of those kids a year. 
Um, and and you need you need someone that essentially picks a state that has a high concentration of talent within your immediate footprint and and can essentially establish a, a lifeline and live there and, and become well known there has high school ties there um, uh, and and I'd pick Ohio if it was me and 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 establish a, that as your recruiting base right now it just kind of seems like Iowa goes where they can get interest outside of Iowa, their own state, obviously with a Wieskamp kind of a player. You need another, you need another lifeline, you know, um, you need another plumb line. Where do you, you know, what's your, where are your primary recruiting areas at? And, and I, to me, I, I make it real simple. I pick one, a state that produces a ton of talent and the number one school in state can only really sign two, three at max, four of those kids a year. Where are the rest of them going to go? Right. Well, I mean, they got uh, they got Aaron White out of the state of Ohio. Yeah. Maybe go find go find another one of those guys. I'd be uh, I'd be all for that. Um, Michigan's last two point guards. Guess what state they're from? Yeah. Ohio. Trey Burke, Xavier Simpson. I think those guys are pretty good. Are they okay? They're okay. Yeah, they're they're all right. They, Trey, by the uh, way, Trey, Bur- Trey Burke's two schools. He came down to Michigan and Penn State. Those were the two other. Those were his two finalists. Why the hell can't Iowa sign a Trey Burke? Answer: You can. Yeah, and, and and sign those like that are in your own state, like DJ Carton, so they don't go to Ohio. That'd be another good one. That would be. Um, but, but this is where I'm. I haven't defended Fran much on our history of our podcast, or at least the last few years. Iowa was struggling to hold on. To you know, Ricky Davis, Rafe LaFrance. This is not new, Nick Collison. It's not a new problem for the University of Iowa to struggle to keep that kind, that level of kid in state. That predates Fran McCaffrey. We should we should note that. It does, but Iowa had a pretty decent run. You know, Carton. What was that committed back in the? Well, I guess that would have been. Last season fell apart for them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Good point. Um, last one from Sean um, Boss Beard 53 Can Iowa basketball be a legit Big Ten contender next year? Not just in the top half, but a top dog. My answer is no. It won't be top dogs. I think Michigan State and Michigan pick your order depending on who comes back, who stays, who, who winds up signing with an agent. And really, like you know, staying uh, in the professional ranks, we won't know that, Steve, really, till after the NBA draft. Now at these new rules, so we've got quite a ways to go before we really know yeah. that. Let's clarify that real quick, so people know what we're talking about. Because I still see, and I understand why, because it was—it's been this year since this kind of was the Jess Settle rule. He was the first major college star to test this, from what I recall. But so now we're—I still see people panicking when they read Anthony Cowan of Maryland is declaring for the draft and signing with an agent. He's gone. Not necessarily. The new rule now is a player can sign with an agent, and, and as long as he didn't get any improper benefits, which do not include travel, physical training, meaning can't give mama a down payment on a Lexus or a new house. That, that's, what, that's what it is. Not the basic necessities of preparation for the NBA combine. All right, so provided you sign with an agent and then you drop out of the draft by May 28th, 
um, you can immediately uh, have your eligibility restored. And they're working on a rule right now that it looks like it's going to be put in place for this cycle that if you end up staying in the draft but were invited to the NBA draft combine and don't get drafted and didn't take any improper benefits, then you can return. And the reason why that's important is the NBA draft combine is anywhere from 60 to 70 players every year, and there's 60 draft picks in the NBA. So there's almost no chance if you're an American player and you don't get drafted or you don't get, you don't get invited to the combine that you're going to be drafted. And so that means if the odds that you stayed in the draft because you got an invite and didn't get drafted, there's only going to be a handful of those kids a year. And we're going to know who gets invited to the combine the, around the first week of May are when those names get announced. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily answer no to, your, to, your, to this question right now. I would not. And here's why. I think Michigan State is, is settled. You know, they, Nick Ward may, may decide it's time for him to go. You know what my theory is with him. I love He's a really good player, all right? But they're a better team without him. The, the style of play that Tom Izzo wants to play up and down the court, they play it better with Xavier Tillman in the lineup than him. And we saw that this season. So even if he goes pro, they're bringing everybody else back. And they've got a stretch four who was a big-time recruit named Marcus Bingham who's been sitting on the bench waiting to take Nick Ward's minutes as well. They are going to be the preseason number one team. With all these Virginia guys declaring and everything yeah. else, Michigan State's going to be the preseason number one team. All right? But after that in our league, I don't know what's going to happen next. I think at least two of Michigan's three are not coming back. Matthews is gone for sure. Jordan Poole is gone for sure. I think Iggy is 40-60. He would like to be gone, but he is open to coming back if he doesn't get invited to the combine, okay? Um, and so for Michigan, it's going to depend on, you know, they're going to return a very strong core with Teske, Simpson, and Livers. They had a really good recruiting class last year, and most of those guys didn't play. So they're going to have, still have a pretty good 8-9 man rotation. But if you bring – if Weiss can't return, and I think that he will – I don't know that Iowa's eight, nine man rotation isn't better than theirs, depending on which grad transfers Michigan adds here at the end. We know Purdue is losing, you know, it's two big senior shooters and Ryan Klein and one of the best players in school history, Carson Edwards. And they're not a reload program. You know, they'll, they'll have to cycle back up now. Probably they bring some of the, these guys back. They'll be pretty good, but they're not going to win another big 10 championship with, with, with what they have coming back in my view. Indiana's going to lose Langford, going to lose Juwan Morgan. Um, Ohio State, I think, could be pretty good with the recruits they have coming in, but they're probably going to lose Caleb Wesson. So somebody's got to finish second in this league. And if you're going to finish second, depending on the way the schedule shakes out, you know, unless it's a year that, you know, Michigan State goes 18-2 and two or 17-3, and three, I, don't, I wouldn't rule Iowa out. I would not. There's, I mean, if, if Fernando and Cowan both stay in the draft for Maryland, that's pretty devastating to them, actually. You know, they were counting on losing Fernando with Jalen Smith there, but now you're going to lose your point guard. You know, that be that would be a pretty big loss for them. Uh, my point is, there's a lot of potential wins for a team like Iowa with the weapons they're going to bring back. There is the man of the Iowa people, Steve Dace. <laughs> there for you. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you so much to all those who sent in uh, questions. We couldn't get to all of them. Appreciate you all doing that, especially on such short notice. Uh, it's appreciated. For Steve and John, we'll talk to you soon.